Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to the Arkansas AgCast for August 5th. I'm your host, Jenny Higgs. On this edition, we get an update on this year's rice production and learn about the Senate Ag Committee trip to Arkansas later this month. I'm Jason Brown with the Arkansas AgCast, and today we're here with Dr. Jared Harkey, uh, rice extension agronomist for the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. Uh, Dr. Harkey is going to talk to us a little bit about the rice season so far um, this year here in Arkansas. Uh, talk to us about some of the, the challenges and opportunities rice growers have seen in the state and, uh, you know, a recent uh, recognition for our rice production. So, Dr. Harkey, thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. I'm glad to have you here on the AgCast. Absolutely. Glad to be here, Jason. Thanks for having me. Yeah. All right. Well, let's just dive right in. Let's 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 hop right in here. Um, you know, I would love for you to just take take a step back, hop in your DeLorean and step back to the beginning of 2021 and talk to us about sort of what your mindset was before the growing season kicked off this year. Um, you know, what was the outlook for Arkansas's rice crop, um, you know, before any any sort of tractors hit the dirt this year? Yeah, well, uh, seems so long ago now. We'll definitely have to have to charge up the flux capacitor um, on the <laughs> DeLorean for this one. Uh, you know, we were headed into this year after a, a really good crop last year, you know, like in 2020. You know, not certainly not without its uh, wide range of difficulties, but really heading into what we perceived, you know, we'd have a, a the slight reduction in rice acres headed into 2021. There was uh, a little bit of increasing competitiveness price-wise from some other commodities, uh, things like that. We kind of have a natural crop rotation effect that also contributes to that. You know, the majority of our rice is rotated with soybeans. So some of our annual up and down can often be attributed to just a crop rotation. So, there wasn't too much concern there. And then really before, again, still before tractors hit the ground, the, the corn and soybean prices started to take off. And certainly rice you know, kept up a little bit, increased some, but, but that really out of the gate set the tone that, well, maybe we won't have as many rice acres as we thought. Then once, of course, it just kept raining again, for you know how many consecutive springs now and and really knocked this out of getting much planted in at the very end of March or even the early part of April. Okay, now we we really things began to to pivot and shift. And again, those other other prices remaining very strong, particularly soybean. The later we get rice planting, more likely we're gonna shift acres from rice to beans. And so we ended up with, you know, over half of the rice crop planted in in May and beyond on into June and that's that really just again shift between the the repeated rainfall uh coming in that's really just what we continued to battle and certainly you know cool conditions throughout it wasn't quite the record cool month of April we had in 2020 but it was Uh still pretty cool Uh, and with all that rainfall yeah it just became extremely difficult to get anything going and we, we weren't getting any early opportunities for field work so we were once again in the mode of 
the first dry window work the ground plant the ground with no no caps in between pretty much doing all in one runs to Mm -hmm. get fields in the ground which is not what we none of us consider that ideal picking up and dropping equipment uh knocking out very you know very small acres a few fields at a time before we're stopped again so yeah it became very very difficult right out of the gate and and our expectations for the season rapidly changed and certainly expectations for acres continued to fall uh, from all that. Yeah. You know, you talk about those little short spurts. I was talking to Dr. Uh, Jeremy Ross the other day and he, <laughs> he sort of made mention it, it felt like for a while it was only raining on the weekend. So guys would, uh, <laughs> guys would hop in the tractor on Tuesday, maybe get to Thursday or something like that before we picked up rain again. And, and I think it's fair to say, I, I think the, the, when the first year that we moved the virtual rice or the rice field day over to the, um, the seed facility, I remember you talking that year a lot about, um, <laughs> about rain that was probably 2018 2019 so seems to be yeah. a pattern now yeah there absolutely is yeah i don't remember if that was 18 or 19 uh even 18 we think of 2018 is uh the biggest thing we remember from that one is the harvest which was horrible in yeah. cold and wet and you know there were still fields of rice and soybeans still out there in the field after the first of the year into 29 it's what we most remember but it was super cold and wet all the way until about the first of may that year and then it turned blazing hot and we kind of you know, kind of forgotten but then that fall became so much worse and impactful that uh, we've often forgot but that that was probably around that time yeah we've, we've been talking about uh, just how rainy these springs have been for for several years now without a kind of a at least a little bit warmer drier early run haven't had one of those in a while probably 2016 yeah was the last time we really had one of those yeah yeah i think you're right and and speaking of that you know it really has been a roller coaster this year especially in terms of weather i mean we've seen uh you know of course the historic flooding down in the southeast part of the state um you know i remember one week where i was uh, down in uh, Dumas, you know, you know, working with growers uh, in the flooding and then ended up in Lee County and they were begging for rain. You know, it's really been, <laughs> uh, it's really been kind of a roller coaster of a year. Tell us how that's impacted the rice crop. Yeah, that's, you know, again, the, the, the flooding event that was, that, that was really something else from, from a wide scale perspective. And, and we've had, there, uh, you know, we we think of spring flooding events that that have happened, and again, we talk about you know years not not too long ago. They're usually earlier in the spring. Maybe we don't even have all that much of any particular crop planted at that time. And there, you know, and obviously, you know, mass. I remember one a few years ago, uh, mainly you know, Lawrence and Randolph counties. Think you know, up up to the north and and major impacts, but it was still pretty early, and we could do something after that. I mean, certainly beyond ag, obviously the, the communities were extremely harmed and homes and stuff, same for Dumas, but it's usually earlier in the year versus the Dumas situation getting into June. Uh, that, that that became a whole other ball game. And uh, again, really just the, the overall roller coaster ride of the year, that was kind of the exclamation point that they got put on the year to that point in time of again, <laughs> like you mentioned, yeah, get on track for a few days and then rain for the weekend. 
uh, that that continued herbicide applications to try and get fertilized and to flood in rice and and even finish planting up the crop. Uh, that that really, yeah, put put a bow on it there with that particular <laughs> flood event. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's 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 been interesting, and I guess we'll start to see just how, um, you know, how well we we weathered those those events. Um, you know, I know harvest is starting to begin in in Louisiana. Um, I'm just curious, what's on growers' minds here in Arkansas as we approach harvest? Well, at this point, we're already starting to get some fields you know, ready to drain. I mean, the first, some of the first fields have already been drained right now. So uh, certainly as always, the draining is as much art as science when it comes to rice fields, uh, when to, when to remove that, the, the flood or, or, you know, cease irrigation, remove the flood. And that's always a biggie. And, and it's so, so dependent on what the prevailing weather conditions are obviously maturity of the crop but it's it's an extremely visual decision at the time you're deciding that just how the crop appears there's not really uh there is no other really good metric and so we use general crop appearance of the grain in the field so on our lighter loamier soils that dry out faster we're, we're literally looking for straw colored or kind of you know yellowish colored grains instead of being green and when about two-thirds of panicles are straw colored you know on on lighter soils you're you're pretty well safe unless it's unless you're staring at you know about to have a you know week 10 days of 100 degree temperatures maybe mm-hmm. it's too early uh, on our heavier clay soils take longer to dry out once we get much straw color at all maybe only just a third of them started you know we can start draining there it's going to take them forever to dry out so those are always the big ones and and just as we're 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 spraying for rice stink bugs right now they seem somewhat light at this point in time their fields around getting treated left and right but we're all open to outrun those and get away from applications and typically around drain timing for a lot of fields uh go, go back to that two-thirds straw colored example well that's that's about the time you can stop spraying for stink bugs too and they're not going to okay. cause an impact so site set on a lot of those elements to kind of get to at this point and and really try to get this crop out we're certainly big shock not set up for an early harvest this year with how everything <laughs> went and and one factor in there and i guess i failed to mention it earlier but you you really got a point back to and i should have remembered this but back around uh, memorial day that was one of those oddities that i think most of us have forgotten a little bit about that depending on like always where you are in the state top to bottom uh, just what the exact temperatures were but mm-hmm. for about a week, five to seven days around Memorial, I don't remember, it was cold. People wanted to go to the lake and stuff like that. It was a high like 75. Oh, we, we were out. Uh, yeah, we were out Memorial Day weekend wearing jackets. Like, yeah, so, so you had five to seven days where the lows were down in the mid-50s and the highs like 75. And it, it really seemed to kind of knock the rice crop. And I, we've seen this before, again, never in, never a bit that early. Uh, and that kind of prolonged, but when you kind of get that slowdown like that, it's kind of like you lose some of those days with rice development. Like it, it takes a little while to really, I guess, convince the plant to get back moving again. 
And so compared to what some of the predictions would be for getting to heading with this rice crop and maturing out, guess what? It's about five days or so later than, than I would expect. And that's pretty much anywhere if, if you had rice, you know, planted and up and growing. Uh, we're still in good shape. I mean, we've got some heat coming, I think. And so I'm hopeful that's that's actually going to be good heat, not excessive heat, and we'll actually dry the crop out pretty well so we can we can get a, a pretty good launch into harvest here when we when we turn around here in the next 10 days or so, hopefully see some of the first fields harvested and, and get them off and running. And obviously we're all crossing our fingers for a dry fall window to, to get all the crop out. We'll uh, always wait and see what hand we're dealt on that one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, it's great, great to hear that we're we're sort of gearing up for harvest and getting ready as well, and and maybe maybe the weather will work out on our in our favor and or help us out a little bit. Um, so uh, as we so, sort of wrap up talking about this season, I just I just wanted to ask you one more question: What have you learned this year about rice? Well, I guess I should ask: What, if anything, have you learned this year about rice and rice production? Well, the the thing that that comes back to my mind, and and I don't know if it's so much about rice and rice production so much as the event is is still going back to that June flooding event. Mm-hmm. That it, it it would probably surprise some to learn that uh, we've seen that kind not not to that scale, but we have seen that type of mid season in rice huge flood before. It's almost every year I see somewhere in like mid-June, somewhere in the state, it's like a nine, 10 inch rain overnight. And it's only a handful of growers may be impacted, but I'm up there looking at at what to do with that rice. And so it shocked a bunch of people and they're like, y'all ever seen this before? I'm like, well, the the damage, yeah. The scale, no, (laughs) not at (laughs) at that time. So, I mean, not not at all making a lot of the damage, but it's just, uh, it's a little you know, shocking, like, yeah, I've seen this in spots again, maybe half a county, you know, maybe, you know, maybe max. Right. Uh, but to have, uh, you know, the general, the greater Dumas area, you know, encompassing parts of multiple counties there and not to leave it out, but, you know, extending all the way up into Jefferson, Lone Oak Prairie counties across Arkansas County. You mentioned Lee County needing to rain and then Phillips mm-hmm. caught quite a bit off of that event. And so it was very, <laughs> yeah you know who got what and dumas got almost 20 inches parts of arkansas jefferson lone oak got like 15 16 out of that and i just yeah just the the broadness of scale on that uh for a mid-season event was was probably shocking again i don't know what i so much learned from that but we definitely got a lot more observations on rice survivability from those mm-hmm. conditions, I, I don't think it it ultimately differed a lot from what we thought we knew from more small limited right. events in the past. But you know, we did uh, we did see rice in uh, particularly in zero grade fields or uh, you know pretty flat fields that are you know best suited to rice. I actually, go ahead and get replanted to rice there at the very end of June. So. Uh, we, we did take an opportunity off of that. We always do some very late planting dates just as part of research, you know, that, that we mm-hmm. do division of ag, but, uh, 
we did go ahead since that was happening, since we didn't feel like we had all of the answers that we needed. And, and we put together uh, just some, some different treatments and way to try to manage the rice a little bit different. We went and planted some extra rice June 30th to throw some stuff at the wall. So we hope this situation never happens again, but at some point, something like it will. Uh, maybe it's something different, but uh, to try to get a few better answers on maybe speeding that crop along to maximize. So uh, if we didn't learn anything or a tremendous amount directly from what happened, we're, we're going to try to put some twists on some things and make sure that we do get something, uh, that, that we do in fact learn something from what happened and, and how we can try to overcome and manage rice after the fact. Uh, should we see anything like this again or should something else happen that we end up planting more rice this late? Yeah. Right. Well, taking it as an opportunity to, to learn. Uh, and, uh, I think, uh, I think that's a good thing. Um, all right. So let's turn our attention away from necessarily this production, uh, you know, year, this, this growing year and, and maybe, uh, this one in the past couple, uh, you know, I think we continue to see private companies, universities, uh, other folks moving towards uh, rice production that uses less water. Uh, just curious, you know, what's some of the reasoning behind that? Um, and are we seeing success when we when we go out and try and do that? Yeah, you know, the, the reductions in water use, one of the first things we always, from an educational standpoint, or one of my my favorite points is to remind everybody that rice is a semi-aquatic plant. So it doesn't require a flood. We The, the flood has a lot of, of benefits to rice growth and to our production system, but there are definitely ways that, that we can be more efficient in going about it. And the, the rice industry has done that over the past few decades. We, we've shown that we've been able to reduce our water use by about 50% compared to what it used to be. There's a slightly more exact number we have for that, but I know it's it's right at 50%, oh, maybe wow. a hair higher um, off the top of my head. But, you know, uh, you know, one of the things at the forefront, of course, is uh, improvements in land forming, land grading to, to improve our ability to manage flooded fields and the depth on those incorporations of things like using polypipe in rice, multiple inlet rice irrigation, we refer to it as, that again, instead of cascading water down through the gates, which means building up a pretty good volume of water to move down through the field to get everything flooded takes time and, and isn't as efficient. Instead, we can put water equally into all levees or patties at the same time, uh, much more efficient that way. Uh, and certainly uh, you, you start combining those factors with things like alternate wetting and drying, which is pumping up in whatever means you use and then allowing it to naturally subside mm -hmm. before pumping back up. I mean, all those things are just reducing our pumping time and water use. And uh, again, with the multiple inlet rice irrigation, AWD, those things allowing us better opportunity to capture rainfall events when they happen. So water doesn't run off and leave the field. More of it stays in there. So all of those types of ideas uh, are moving us the right way. And you're talking about reducing total water use, uh, reducing uh, electric and uh, fuel use in, in irrigating those fields, time spent. <laughs> irrigating those fields and managing them <laughs> yeah. in, in most capacities. 
uh, furrow irrigated rice, uh, if we're talking water these days, we really can't leave out mentioning furrow irrigated rice. It has the potential to, to save water. I often tell folks, you know, it's not moving to furrow irrigated rice is not strictly necessarily a, a water saving measure, though we do see that in a lot of instances. And if we use some other tools like soil moisture sensors and things like that, we have greater potential to use it as, as a water saving tool. But uh, with with no flood present, you, you do flirt a little bit more with the potentially drought stressing rice, you know, to, to cause some negative impact there. If you don't have other metrics, again, it doesn't have to have a flood, but it's fairly shallow rooted compared to other crops and, and a little more, uh, say, water deficit sensitive. Uh, you know, should, should we run out of moisture a little bit quicker? So a few few delicate things to worry about there but overall it's it's this continual evolving picture of of the rice industry to continually get more and more efficient over time there's also been uh, of course several years ago uh, it was a, a group of rice growers uh, several of which were arkansas rice growers uh, that obtained the first carbon credits uh, for how they were managing their rice because our ability to use things like fur irrigation or alternate wetting and drying reduces our methane output mm-hmm. from those fields by having those drying events. So there's uh, even beyond the water use, lots of other environmental impacts we can have by improving our practices, which is what our, our growers have, have essentially been about for, for over 100 years. Yeah, yeah. Uh yeah, that's great. It's really cool to see some of these innovations come through um that that uh that you know could really be a difference maker. And like you said, I mean you're you're saving an input cost, you're saving a time, you're you know, just just all around the board. Um okay, so big news recently, speaking of Arkansas and Arkansas rice production, some of the things that we do so successfully here. Uh, recently, uh, Arkansas was named, uh, or I guess still named still to be the top, the top rice producing state in the country. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, I think Arkansans know that. I don't, I don't know if it shocks anywhere, anyone else around the country, but I'm curious who, who or what gets the credit for that, um, for that, um, you know, recognition that, that, that label is the top rice producing state. Well, I, I will say that, uh, the the audience for that will be listening to us probably well knows that that Arkansas does in fact grow rice number one you'd be surprised how many people I run into in this state on a daily basis who don't know we grow rice <laughs> uh, that's you know that so that's what that is with all those little hills running through the pit yeah that that's that's an almost daily occurrence uh, uh, so that you know that's number that's kind of the first thing there but. Uh, yeah, I mean the majority of us in that community, it's it's a very very proud point and for our growers here in the state. But we have been number one in acres for for decades now. At this point, going back to the 70s, and and really that's that's the drive of the growers to to grow this crop and utilize the natural state as it is in our excellent soils the eastern half of arkansas made up of the delta and prairies that are Mm -hmm. wonderful for their uh, water holding capacity Uh, obviously these these are lands that were made to grow things (laughs) they grew things well before we showed up 
and and they're they're well suited to it. And so we uh, really made it into that that home that we can really grow some some very high quality high yielding rice here in in again essentially all of eastern Arkansas and. I mean, they're not alone. You have other river valley, the, what we typically just call the river valley, but the Arkansas River Valley, uh, slightly to the west, and even mm-hmm. southwest corner still still growing rice as well in, in some of those river valley areas. So, uh, yeah, our, our growers have really taken it and made it their own over the past several decades, and and been met with great success, and and so far continued success. So we're trying to keep it that way with some of the other advances we mentioned that are very grower driven like we talked about those practices being implemented to to reduce irrigation and water use and and uh again further reduce reliance on like groundwater use things like that uh been long adopting putting in tailwater recovery systems building reservoirs again using all the other more efficient practices a lot of focus on water obviously we use water in in rice so uh, that's still a lot of the focus, but uh, yeah, very, very grower driven and, and proud to work with all those guys uh, to try to try to keep getting better. Yeah, yeah, and good point. It has been it's a decades long title that we've that we've owned and and so um, glad to see us, you know, remaining in that in that spot. Well, uh, wrapping up, I know you guys have the virtual field day coming up on Friday, I believe. Um and just in case anybody hasn't heard yet, we, we ha- you guys have had to move this back from a traditional in-person event uh, to virtual like it was last year, I believe. Uh, anything you want to say about that? Help, you know, help, help folks understand, you know, exactly what they'll see and learn there at that event? Sure. And certainly, uh, I know everybody's heard it. We, we were extremely disappointed to have to make that decision. Uh, but, but given the, the, current rise in in covid cases in the state and where we were we felt it was the most appropriate decision so unfortunately rather than have an in-person field day this friday uh, we're actually going to film those field tour stops and present them as an online virtual field day that that we hope to post on august 20th when that'll be available so we have to have a little time to get it filmed and then put together and put out there, but uh, the the goal really is to take your your typical field day experience of of researchers and extension specialists, in, you know, in the field, kind of like you were there on the trailer, uh, you know, attending the event as as close as possible. So that that's really the goal with with covering all aspects of production from weed science, soil fertility. Uh, insects, disease, agronomy, irrigation, and, and of course the the division breeding programs and and things that may be forthcoming there. So uh, certainly I could rattle off everything and everybody's name on there. I don't think that's <laughs> that's quite necessary, but but we are uh, start starting to promote that event now. Certainly that'll be available August twentieth, and and we will be sending out more information as we obviously finalize and ready to post that video and send it out. And uh, if you're looking for any, any more information on that, you can go to uaex.uada.edu. And that's where we'll, we'll continue to post more information on all of that. And, and certainly not just that event had to move virtual. Some others did not rice specific mind you, but uh, uh, several that were, targeted around this time uh we unfortunately had to move but but most of them we were moving to some kind of virtual format 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. And if there is a silver lining, it's that the uh, virtual event will be much cooler than the uh, traditional in-person field day. It, it will be the, the rice field day. <laughs> it's, it's tradition for it to be one of the absolute hottest days of the year for us to have that field day. It always just works that way. So that, that'll be the nice thing. Watch it from inside in the air conditioning. Yeah, there you go. Well, man, I thank you. You've been so generous with your time today, and I appreciate uh, all all the all the information that you've been willing to share with us. Certainly, hope you'll come back and 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 be with us again. Maybe we can do a wrap up towards the end of the year. And uh, just best of luck with with uh, wrapping up the season. And thank you again, Dr. Hartke, for joining us. Yeah, thanks again, Jason. Hopefully, we've got a great story to tell at the end of harvest. I'm joined today by Matt King, uh, Senior Vice President of Arkansas Farm Bureau. And Matt, uh, this month, later this month, the staff of the Senate Ag Committee is coming to Arkansas for a visit. And you guys, uh, a team from Arkansas Farm Bureau, will be meeting with them on Friday to kind of debrief them on Arkansas agriculture and prepare them. Right. Uh, Yeah, they'll be in later this month into Arkansas. In preparation for that trip, we're going to give a quick overview of Arkansas agriculture and just talk about the diversity in our state because we're very unique here in the state of Arkansas, the largest rice producer here in the country, as well as a top 10, uh, top five forestry producing state, top poultry state, lots of different diversity for our farmers here in Arkansas. Yeah, and how how important is it to, A, have uh, have the ability to have this committee, you know, these, these staffers come to Arkansas. I mean, how did it come about? And then how important is that for a state like Arkansas? It's extremely important for Arkansas. When you look at uh, the position that Senator Bozeman's in now as the ranking member of the Senate agriculture committee opens up additional staff folks that he can have on his team and really help focus on, on the Southern agriculture and some of the issues that we have here in Arkansas that are very unique as a cotton, rice, peanut, poultry state, there's, there's very unique things that, that Arkansas doesn't have. It's not like just corn and soybean states that you have across the Midwest where those, those issues and pork dominate just about every state um, in, the, in that Midwestern Corn Belt. Arkansas is in a unique position with the diversity of crops. Everybody looks at the state and thinks it's chicken and rice. Well, when you look at uh, the statistics for Arkansas, actually the top two commodities in Arkansas would be poultry and soybeans. But rice being that rice being such a large and unique crop for us, it's a huge value added product that that is that farmers produce and is sold not only here but all around the world. And you know, you you hit on a couple of those things. What what are some of the things that you know it's important to educate the staff about things that they may not realize about Arkansas agriculture? You have you have folks that have that have been on the committee for, for a while and maybe been to, to other states and seen the, the production practices that they have in those states. But with the, the irrigation that we have here in Arkansas, the number of small farms that exist, the, the small poultry farms, cattle farms, things like that here in Arkansas, because the senators from the state of Arkansas, they want to make sure they understand the issue of Arkansas farmers because that's, that's very important for, for this committee. And as we head into this next farm bill here in a couple of years, Arkansas Farm Bureau and and uh, farmers here are going to have specific asks that may not be the same as what what other people um, other groups there in Washington and others are interested in. So we want to make sure that we have an opportunity to talk to them about some of those issues that are going to be unique for us. What are some of the other things? Uh, obviously, you're going to give them the the lay of the land in terms of the the commodities here in Arkansas. 
What are the, are you going to talk about anything else issue specific uh, that Arkansas is concerned with? I mean, I think that you look at the you look at trade issues, you look at the the livestock marketing issue that that our cattle producers are facing right now. There's there's a number of issues, environmental issues, the the threat of regulation, the tax issue that that's looming on the horizon. There's a lot of farmers here in the state that are very concerned with the tax uh, situation that that is being proposed right now. Because if you look at the stepped-up basis and some of these other other, this is uh, the estate tax. The estate tax, yeah. well, like the estate tax as well as the stepped-up basis. Right. So whenever somebody passes, your parents pass away and they want to pass the farm along to you, there's certain advantages that you have right now if you take that farm and you you continue farming it. Mm-hmm. Under these proposals, you're going to be taxed at that time. So the the people who want to inherit and continue to farm, they're likely going to have to sell something because the revenue off of the off of the land will not be enough to pay for the taxes. The research out of Texas A&M shows about an $800,000 tax bill that the average Arkansan farmer is going to face if this if all these proposals come due. And that scares people because, right. Rob, I mean, these guys have worked their entire life. Sometimes their grandparents, three or four generations have worked this land. And now whenever you're going to have the government come in, change the tax structure, and those, those kids who want to continue to farm and, you know, I've been to a Farm Bureau meeting. Yeah. And you, don't, you don't have a lot of young people at these right. meetings sometimes. But um, the the younger generation that wants to continue farming, they may not be able to. They may have to sell some of these things, and it's going to be a stress on them that they shouldn't have to face. And is that part of the educating factor here is that, you know, a lot of people hear an estate tax, and they are simply thinking about people with a lot of money and passing that money on or, or perhaps a house or a mansion or something. But when you talk farming – it's all that that money is in equipment. It's in land. It's it's tied up in things that are going toward making a living. And is that a little bit different than what people typically think about? It absolutely is. I mean, you you read some of these things in the paper and some of the talking points. Whenever you talk about wanting to change the stepped up basis, wanting to raise capital gains and different things like that, and what it's going to impact, people want to talk about the art and large mansions, these large wealth that you're you're trying to make sure that people can't protect. Well, whenever these farmers who are out here growing the food and food, fiber, shelter, everything that, that we depend on every day in our lives, they're actually going in now and they don't have the revenue off of these things. They have a lot of money tied up in that land because in a lot of cases, if it's a third, fourth, fifth generation, they may have got the land for less than $100 an acre. Right. I mean, there, there was, uh, we were at a PD meeting in, in southeast Arkansas last night. And just so the listeners... Oh, sorry, policy... policy de- I'm sorry. Yeah, our policy sorry. development meeting... Excuse me, forget our lingo sometimes. Yeah. But our our policy development meeting in south Arkansas, we had five or six counties represented in this multi-county meeting. And one of the gentlemen brought... We were talking about this issue. And he said, you know, there's a lot of land down here that was bought for $40, $50 an acre by our grandparents. And now maybe their parents have passed away and they, they're going to inherit it directly from their grandparents. That land may be selling for six or seven thousand dollars an acre today, but is purchased for forty dollars. Right. That's a huge, huge tax bill. Yeah. That those farmers are going to be facing now. The revenue off of that's not anywhere near that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking multiple multiple years just to pay for that acre. Right. Off of what your net revenue is going to be. So that's something you'll talk about. Anything else? I know you mentioned irrigation and water issues. That's always something that gets into the regulation. Right. Factor. And, and also, Rob, if you look across this, um, East Arkansas with some of the water, the water tables declining and things like that, where 
We're uh, NRCS, USDA, and others over the last few years have been trying to do more surface water projects. And we have a pro- two projects in, in particular, the Biomeda mm-hmm. project as well as the White River project that looking for funding on these things. We need to make sure that we get we keep those things front and center. We're, we've been doing a lot of work talking to our state legislature about opportunities to use some of the um, American Rescue Act plan dollars. There's $1.57 billion coming to the state of Arkansas. Can we use some of that money to help get some of these projects done? Because it's been... Since you and I, since I've been at Farm Bureau over 15 years, we've always we've been talking about these projects because they, under earmarks, they were able to get a little bit of money every year. And then when earmarks went away a few years ago at the federal level, money just stopped flowing for these things. So trying to figure out how do we get these projects done because they're extremely important to the longevity and sustainability of agriculture in the area. So having uh, an opportunity to talk with staff like this is a chance to put things back on the radar or keep them on the radar and say, we, we, we can't give up on this. We, we need this. Absolutely. And one of the things that we will for sure talk to these, talk to the staff about and already have multiple times is some of the stuff with the CFAT payments. We had our poultry growers out there. We still have a number of poultry growers hurting and, and waiting to see when the USDA is going to release the, the details of these pro, of their program. So back, if you remember during the CARES Act, we all got our stimulus monies, things like that, right. that the government provided. Well, they did some of these same things for agriculture to where they, they helped beef cattle producers that had been negatively impacted because with COVID shutting everything down, we had to we had different things that, that happened that reduced the price that farmers, farmers saw. So we had programs for cattle producers. We had a program for hog producers. We had programs for uh, row crop producers, especially crops, everybody out there. The one person that was really left out of this were our contract poultry growers, and that's forty percent right. of the industry here in Arkansas is is in is in poultry production. And those guys have so they're still waiting. They're still waiting for that money, and they didn't. Uh, Congress has approved it, passed the bill back in the the second CARES Act funding back in December, but with changes in administration, rulemaking procedures, and things like that, the, these things have just been tied up. Hopefully, here in a few weeks, we'll start to see some of those things. But that's. That's a very important thing that our our producers here in Arkansas Arkansas need because when you're typically when you're producing chickens and that last flock is your mm-hmm. profit and you don't get to put that last flock in right you're expecting to have five and you only get three maybe four flocks this year you don't have the money you you've right. lost your profit for the year so it makes it extremely challenging and these guys have have mortgages that they have to pay on these houses they have energy bills everything else stays the same during these times but they just don't get their fixed cost. Their fixed costs are there right. regardless. So you'll debrief the the team on Friday via Zoom. Uh, they will be coming to the state later this month. Yes. Uh, do we know where they're going? Or they're still in the process of, uh, of getting the plans and everything in place for those. Hopefully, we'll have some opportunities here in Little Rock to to actually meet, bring them in, let them meet some of our staff face to face, and see the resources that we have at Farm Bureau. That's great. Thank you very much, Matt. All right. Thanks, Rob. That's it for this week's Arkansas AgCast. Join us again next Thursday for more news and views of Arkansas agriculture.